0: You know, my favorite thing about being a grandmother is spending time with those children. And I don't know, a couple years ago, I was just thinking about the opportunity that I have with them to pour into their lives. I had amazing grandmothers. <laughs> one, one grandma, she was about four foot ten, or is that four foot eleven going to heaven? <laughs> but she was really short, and we just loved her, and our goal was to get to be as tall as Grandma. Well, that didn't take too long. I think I was probably about 10. <laughs> but um, there were qualities in her. She just was oozing love. And so was my Grandpa, Grandpa Noak, and Grandma Noak. And then my Grandma and Grandpa Carlin were... My Grandma Carlin was probably the hardest-working woman I'd ever met. She went to school to be a teacher, and back then they called it normal school. I wonder why. They should call it that today. Maybe that would help. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) she went to school to be a teacher, but then she married a farmer, and she became a housewife. And then she worked in a cheese factory, and she farmed while my grandfather was out doing other things. So part of my issue with alcohol in life is because of the way he lived his life and how it hurt my grandmother. And so I'm like, I don't want anything to do with that stuff. (laughs) But when I have my own grandchildren, which I do now, to have the opportunity that every time I'm with them, they get some piece of Jesus, some piece of who he is in my life, whether that's loving them, and I love to... I've shared this before, but they sit in front of me and I do my little finger plays with them and all that fun stuff. And and they sit so good. Like, they love that stuff. I love to talk to them about who they are and their strengths. And you see those things at such a young age. And when you think of how that's developed in each of their lives, we love the innocence of grandchildren, the innocence of any child, You know, for those of you who don't have children, for those of you who serve in refuge kids or other children's ministries, if you're watching online, to know that you're taking part of your life to sow into the life of a little child that you're making a huge influence in their lives, a huge difference. You know, when children, when they start out, you know, they drink from a bottle or or have mom there, you know, or... Then they start with parade foods, and and then they start using that little, you know, fun-looking spoon that they try to make their mouth and miss it, and, and we think, that's so cute. Look at how close they got, but they didn't quite make it, but that's so cute. And we don't scold them, right? We don't say, you missed it. You need to get that spoon in your mouth, <laughs> But somehow in life, that starts to change. Sometime in life, our response to our children is a little bit different, isn't it? And partly that's because they aren't always these innocent, sweet little beings. They come to an age of accountability. And that age of accountability is when they need to know what right is and what wrong is and what right and wrong is based on the Word of God and based on truth. When I think about that and I think about my life as a Christian, I think of when I first received Jesus into my heart, when he first became the Lord of my life. You know, I can remember that day, like it was such an amazing day. My world before that time was that... um, you know, I was one of those people who, you know, like to sip probably a little too much. Um, I have friends in the audience, and I won't point any fingers, <laughs> who were right there with me. But Jesus came in, and Jesus made a difference in our lives. I can remember feeling like, so, okay, my life before Jesus, I was a Or If there was a party, I was going to be at it. And if there wasn't a party then I was going to have one (laughs) because we had to have a party. We had to have something to do. We had to have somewhere to go. And I was really into sports. I played softball and volleyball. I probably played sports, you know, five or six nights a week on different teams, tournaments, all that kind of stuff. And I was always trying to look to fill a void in my life with all these other things. And so when I received Jesus into my heart, I knew that there was a marked difference in who I was before Jesus and who I was then. And I can remember being in that service, and um, the minister had asked if there was somebody, anybody in the room who wanted to give their heart to Jesus. And I can remember putting my hand up like that. (laughs) And he said, um, or the guy next to me, the guy that I came with said, you need to put it up higher, they're not going to see it. I said, shut up. (laughs) I did say that word. I don't say that word anymore. (laughs) But I'm like, if they can't see it, that's their problem. You know, but they saw it. And so they asked me if I would come with them and go to another room and they were going to pray with me. Well, I was really scared. I'm like, they're going to take me to another room. What are they going to do with me? Like, put a white... Moo-moo on me and shave my head or something? (laughs) I mean, I had no idea what they were going to (laughs) do. So don't take people to another room. (laughs) Um, But, you know, that day was the best day of my life. And at that time, I was like a little child. I was at a place that my heart was totally 100% open to everything God had for my life. Matthew 18 1 through 4, in the New Living Translation. It says, About that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called the little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven. So in order to get to heaven, in order for the kingdom of heaven to rule and reign in our hearts, we have to humble ourselves. Anytime the Lord is dealing with something on the inside of us, it takes us humbling ourselves and saying, okay, I surrender to you, Jesus. I want everything that you have for my life. You know, as I said, I can remember clearly how my life changed that day. And I can remember that night, we actually were going to a birthday party at a bar right after service. And I can remember, and it was on the square, and it was the elbow room, for those of you who know those places. (laughs) And I can remember walking in there And I can remember looking around and feeling like, I absolutely do not belong here. I don't fit here. Now, that was supernatural (laughs) because I really fit into those places before that. But God did something different in my heart. You know, those first days were amazing. Like, I I can remember the next day after I'd received the Lord, I was at a wedding and um, this a friend of mine got married from our softball team. And so one by one, I'd pull on my friends aside and I'd say, guess what happened to me last night? I received Jesus into my heart and I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And listen to what I can do. And so they should have locked me up and put me in a room somewhere. <laughs> However, with that group of friends, the majority of them gave their hearts to the Lord at some time or another. So, sometimes, and with that group of friends, there also was a time that I knew that I couldn't keep hanging around them, doing the same thing I was doing at the level that I was doing them. And that was so hard for me. (laughs) Remember, I'm this partier, I'm this gatherer, I like having people around me and doing all these fun things. And now, there was something different in my life. And I can remember, I, I was on staff here, and I can remember meeting with Pastor Matt. It was, um, I was received the Lord in June, and it was actually the next May that I'd gone to him. And all, all my friends were signing up for leagues. You know, it was that time of the year. And I just said, I need prayer. <laughs> I feel like I'm abandoning my friends. But I know I can't go back into that environment because I know what it's doing to my life. And so that innocence and in who I was in Jesus, I knew there had to be something different. So even now, I, I think of my life, I think I can, I love being around different people, and, and yet there's sometimes there's influences that you know just aren't good for your life. That you know when I'm around certain people, certain things happen. And you know, I don't, I don't struggle with the alcohol thing or all that kind of stuff anymore, And so, um, you know, there's things, though, that I had to make steps for it to be different so that it didn't affect my life at the level it was. Imagine God, and we're this newborn baby in the faith. And imagine how excited he is for us. And then we start making choices that aren't choices he'd want us to make. You know how as parents or aunts or uncles, teachers when you see children, students making different decisions and how it just hurts your heart because you know they're making choices that, that you know aren't going to lead them to good things. I believe part of why we see those things is to be able to pray for people. And, and if that's your children. Pastor Matt last week talked about a beginning. He talked about when Adam and Eve sinned and how before um They were free and had these lives in paradise. And then they sinned and something happened. In Genesis 3, 6 through 11, in the NIV, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? So how do you think God felt at that moment? I mean, I know Adam and Eve probably were not real happy with themselves right then. (laughs) But how do you think God felt? In Genesis 7, or um, Genesis 3, verse 7, it says, then the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew what they did wrong, and they knew they disobeyed God. You know, when we give our hearts to Jesus, there are things before that that it's really no big deal. But after that, it's like our eyes are wide open, right? <laughs> it's like we know, Like Pastor Matt was talking about living a life of obedience. We want to obey God. And so our eyes are open to what obedience looks like. And so what Adam and Eve really did was sinned. And we don't talk about sin a whole lot, right? But remember, that was my assignment today. (laughs) And so sin defined is an offense against religious or moral law. An action that is or is felt to be highly reprehensible. Deserving disgrace, discredit, wrong, bad, shameful, dishonorable. Ugh, are you feeling all that? (laughs) It's um, often a serious shortcoming or a fault. It's a transgression of the law of God. A state of human nature in which the self is estranged from God no longer close to or feels alienated. In the Greek, the word for sin means to miss the mark and failure. And so what's, what is the mark? It's missing the goal that God has for us. It's kind of like if you're going to shoot a dart to a bullseye, you know when you miss the mark. It's that kind of thing. And so when we sin, we choose to separate ourselves from God. I heard a minister a few years ago and he said every moment we have a choice between life or death, the things that we do, the things that we say, the people we're around, the things we allow to influence us. So when Eve sinned and Adam followed, they didn't realize the consequences of that sin. You know, I wonder if they would have gotten a whole laundry list of if you do this, then this, if you do this, then this. It really was, we need to obey God. But when that happened, there was painful childbirth for Eve. And after that, Adam had to work hard for his keep. Genesis 3.16, in the New Living Translation, it says, Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. So think about it. If those two wouldn't have done that, it would have been a breeze having children. Michaela, you probably have 50 of them, right? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) She's going to love me after this. (laughs) Or think you guys, you wouldn't have to work so hard. Imagine a life in paradise. Okay, for me, paradise would definitely be beach. I could do away with the sand, but I'll take a swimming pool, okay? <laughs> but those kinds of things, like, you know, that's something I can relate to. But what, is, what would a life in paradise be for you? You know, really, when we obey God, <laughs> when we make those choices... We don't have to have all the junk in our lives. I mean, there's day-to-day things that we have to do and have to be part of our lives. But the consequences of sin are real. And you know, we don't often, at least back in the day, (laughs) um, I don't sin thinking, well, this is going to happen to me. I'm going to sin and I'm going to do it anyway because this is going to happen and oh well. Really what happens after you become a Christian and you continue in sin, it's something called condemnation. And that's really the enemy's voice saying things to you like, see, you're not good enough. You're never going to measure up. You'll never amount to anything. You always make mistakes. God doesn't really love you. How many of you have heard that stuff in your ears when you make mistakes? Feeling condemned is right where the enemy wants you because then you get paralyzed and you start believing what he says. And it's knowing that sometimes we focus too much on the sin instead of the Savior. And it's knowing that Jesus saves us. Jesus come to us open-armed, open-handed, wanting all that he has for our lives. And the good news is that we can change our actions. We can change our actions, but sometimes that can be a temporary change when we don't allow God to do a continuing work in our hearts because we go back and we repeat the same thing over and over again. So then it probably really isn't a change of heart, right? Because when we repent, it's like doing a 180. It's turning and running away. Like it will never happen again. So condemnation defined is declared to be wrong or evil. To pronounce guilty and a sentence and sentence punishment. So that's what the enemy does to us when we sin. He throws all this condemnation our way. Romans 8, 1 through 4. It says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Jesus. by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. We have a choice which nature we follow. We have a choice to follow the nature of God and obey God, or to follow that sinful nature. When sin or temptation comes our way, we don't have to allow it in our lives. We can make a choice. No more. No more today. (laughs) And then what's conviction? Conviction defined is a strong persuasion or belief, the state of being convinced of error or compelled to admit the truth. So a conviction is an inside knowing that we shouldn't do something before we do it. So it's knowing, okay, maybe maybe you've been stuck on a Netflix series for five years, and all of a sudden when you watch it, you're like, mm, I probably shouldn't be watching this. Oh, I don't like what this does to me. I don't like the way they're cussing all the time, or I don't like all the stuff that goes on there. Like, when I watch that, Jesus is in my heart, so I really bring him with me, <laughs> When I'm watching this stuff, and do I want to keep doing that? That's conviction. That's knowing that, oh, there's this thing. I just don't want to keep doing it. And so really conviction is knowing that we shouldn't do something. It's kind of like, you know, if uh, maybe you're walking and you knock something over. And, you know, in Wisconsin, a lot of people say, oh, it's kind of like our holy ghost. Oh, don't do that. I don't know why we say that in our house a lot, but <laughs> um, how, how we get the mindset off of the sin and knowing that, we're, that conviction is hitting us and knowing that there isn't condemnation when we're in Christ Jesus. So don't receive the condemnation junk. The conviction, that's a good thing. <laughs> It's a good thing to know, okay, I know that God doesn't want me to continue in this way. The Bible says that I've hidden my word in my heart, or your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Because Jesus sees us just as if we'd never sinned. And that's called justified. So your justified means just as if I've never sinned. And justifying justification is the act by which God moves a willing person from the state of sin or injustice to the state of grace, justice. The change in a person's condition moving from a state of sin to a state of righteousness. And righteousness is right standing with God. I can remember when I first became a Christian and people would say, you're the righteousness in God. And I was like, well, I'm not a nun. Like who's righteous? Like I'm not a saint, but I didn't know those things. <laughs> and so I was the righteousness of God because I was made right with God. And so there was a commentary that I read and I'm going to share it with you. It says, and, and I guess as I went through this lesson and what happened, it's kind of a little Bible study that you're all getting to participate in today And honestly, I thought back to my beginning days, and some of this is is stuff I wish I would have known. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know about justification. I didn't know the difference between conviction and condemnation and righteousness and all those things we talk about in church. Like, I didn't know that stuff. So I'm just helping you along today (laughs) for those of you who might not know some of these things either. A commentary that I read, it said justification has had importance in the history of the church and of theology since the time of St. Paul. In his letters to the Galatians and to the Romans, he asks, against the background of the Pharisees' legalistic piety, how does one become just before God? He answers that it's not by works. You see, we can't earn justification. We can't earn right standing with God. A person stands before God not as, a righteous, as righteous but as a sinner, entirely dependent on God's grace. It's God who calls the sinner righteous. In human law courts, only the innocent person is justified. But in the tribunal of God, before whom are all sinners, it is precisely the unjust who are declared just by God's merciful verdict. So it's God who considered you just. This is no arbitrary pronouncement, but it's made with reference to Jesus Christ, who is put to death for our trespasses and raised for our justification. In this way, the sinner is acquitted from law, sin, and death is reconciled with God and has peace and life in Christ through the Holy Spirit, is not merely declared just, but is truly made just. We're made just when we enter into that relationship with Jesus. Romans 4, 18 through 25. It says, Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping believing that he would become the father of many nations for God had said to him that's how many descendants you'll have and abraham's faith did not weaken even though at about 100 years of age he was figured he'd figured his body was as good as dead you know thinking about having a bunch of children 100 years old <laughs> and so it's knowing that also sarah's womb Was almost as good as dead. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promises, and because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. See, we have that same kind of faith in us. God has given you that same element Imagine for you guys, if you were Abraham, you know, it's your 100th birthday. You're going to have a big old party because you better have a party when you're 100, right? (laughs) Like that's something to celebrate. And instead, God says, hey, I'm going to make you a father to many nations. Well, I think there's going to be a little shift in what your plans are, right? (laughs) God, please don't do that. Please don't do that. (laughs) You're not as old as Abraham, though, Matthew, so we're good. (laughs) You got a few years. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But again, the obedience that he had, the obedience to, okay, God, and how excited and pleased God was. Just like all of you, when you say yes to God, how much that blesses him, how much that pleases him. Psalms 103, 8 through 13, it says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him, is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. See, I didn't know that God wasn't a God who punished us. I totally thought he punishes us. But right there, (laughs) Psalms 103, verse 10, it says he does not punish us for all of our sins. We ask for forgiveness. We ask God to come into our heart, to be the Lord of our lives, to make everything new for us. But here's what I think, and I believe is the key. In verse 13, it says, the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate, To those who fear him. That's our key. Do you fear the Lord? Do you have a reverence for the Lord? Do you think sin is no big deal? I can keep doing what I was doing. No big deal. God forgives me. I'll just keep doing it. I'll just move on. God forgives me. Or do you think, I have reverence for God. I love him. I respect him. I honor him. I don't want to disobey him. To fear God in Proverbs 9, 10 through 12. It says, for the reverence and fear of God are basic to all wisdom. Knowing God results in every other kind of understanding. I, wisdom, will make the hours of your day more profitable and the years of your life more fruitful. Wisdom is its own reward, And if you scorn her, you only hurt yourself. So when you have people that speak into your lives and maybe speak into your lives things that might not always feel good, how do you receive that? You know, are you like, I'm going to stand my ground, that's it? I will not give? Or do you think, maybe this is wisdom talking. And wisdom, what is wisdom? God's wisdom in James 3:17 and 18 But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and full of quiet gentleness then it's peace-loving and courteous it allows discussion and is willing to yield to others it is full of mercy and good deeds it is wholehearted and straightforward and sincere And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of goodness. So I believe that wisdom is something we can grow in. And years ago, I had somebody talk to me, and and it was actually a time that I was making a huge decision in my life. And it was when Pastor Matt and I were praying about whether or not we get married. (laughs) That was a big decision. (laughs) And um, she said to me to take that scripture and every part of the decision or any big decision you have to make is that decision, first of all, is it wisdom that comes from heaven? Is it pure? Is it full of quiet gentleness? Then is it peace loving and courteous? It allows for discussion so that means you're willing to talk about different things. Is it something that's full of mercy and good deeds? The wisdom of God is something that I know in my life has brought me great peace. I know that things have not always been hunky-dory, you know. And, and a lot of you know, in the last few years, Pastor Matt and I both said goodbye to our parents. Within a three-year period of time, they were all gone. <laughs> And there were people that were constants in our lives. And yet, I believe that it was because of the wisdom of God, because of our faith in God, because we weren't building a house on sandy soil. We had a firm foundation that we were able to walk through those seasons and all the things that go with it. So I believe that my walk with God helped me to grow in wisdom when it came to making decisions that I never had to make before. Another thing is that when we ask for forgiveness and we allow God's wisdom to lead us, we reap the benefits of a life filled with peace. You know, if you're hanging on to the sin in your life and you're not willing to change, you're not going to have peace. You know, I I think of some of us, you know, maybe our children haven't always made the best decisions in in their lives. And we can be the parents that are standing back and looking and seeing choices and decisions and And want to just say, hey, if you just do this, it's going to go really good for you. But they don't listen because you're just mom or dad. (laughs) And yet, you can still have influence in their lives through prayer, through the way you talk, through the kinds of things you say. People need to know that you believe the best in them. They need to know if you're speaking into their lives that you're not out to get them, but you want what God has for them. And then I think about the grace of God. Grace is made known in our lives. It's unmerited favor. You know, it's something that we can't earn. We get something not for what we've done, but because it's God's nature. Grace is something that you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is when God gives us good things that we don't deserve. Mercy is when he spares us from bad things that we do deserve. Years ago, I heard a song and it was called Mercy Says No. And it's a song that's just always stayed with me whenever I think I'm in a situation. And I think, you know, really, if we follow the rules, this is what should happen. But in reality, the mercy of God, we're not always going to follow the rules. We're going to listen to the heart of God and say, God, what do you want? And mercy says no. It's like God saying, I'm not ever going to let you go. I'm not going to let you slip away. I'm going to do what I can to keep you close to me. Let's be that way, church. Let's be that way with people in our lives. Hang on to them because mercy says no. You know, I've experienced a relationship with Jesus most, probably 90 plus percent of you in this room have. But, you know, there's all kinds of people out there who haven't. And, you know, they, they talk about people who come to church on Easter and Christmas. Well, like, next Sunday's Easter, and isn't that, like, known as the Super Bowl of the church? <laughs> you know, a lot of people go to the Super Bowl. People want tickets for the Super Bowl. You got some little tickets right there that you can give to people free. <laughs> They're not going to cost you a couple thousand for a seat. <laughs> But it might cost somebody their life. It might cost somebody saying yes to Jesus. And so I don't want us to be a church that doesn't reach out, that doesn't talk to people about Jesus, that doesn't invite Jesus into our world. I, we heard a minister this week and he talked about before he came to know the Lord that he, he wasn't a horrible person. He didn't commit all kinds of crimes and do all kinds of things that he shouldn't he was just lost and you know there's a lot of lost people out there and they're waiting for you to share the hope that you have in your heart there's something different about you take that opportunity to invite them so every week we come to be encouraged to be built up next week I want to encourage you to come here with a heart to serve I, I want to encourage you, serve one service and seek the next. Serve one service. If, you know, we have that fun little golf cart out there and I'm going to beat you to it if you don't get on that list to volunteer. <laughs> Only you'll go really fast with me driving it, so. <laughs> but, you know, opportunities like that, there's all kinds of ways that we need help to reach this community. And so I want to encourage you with that. And, you know, I think about all of this. And, and I think our goal, and I know Pastor Matt said, is to obey God. It's to be in his perfect will. Because the perfect will of God is a place that gives us peace. And so his will, the will of God, will never take you where the grace of God cannot keep you. Where the arms of God cannot support you where the riches of God cannot supply your needs, where the power of God cannot endow you. The will of God will never take you where the Spirit of God cannot work through you, where the wisdom of God cannot teach you, where the army of God cannot protect you, where the hands of God cannot mold you. The will of God will never take you where the love of God can't enfold you. Where the mercies of God can't sustain you. Where the peace of God cannot calm your fears. Where the authority of God cannot overrule for you. The will of God will never take you. Where the comfort of God cannot dry your tears. Where the word of God cannot feed you. Where the miracles of God cannot be done for you. Where the omnipresence of God cannot find you. I don't know where you are with your relationship with the Lord, but I know that the will of God is the perfect place for you to be. I know that Jesus brought me out of a life that was a mess. I was trying to fill voids in my life with all kinds of things that never filled those voids. It was only when I said yes to Jesus and no to all the other junk in my life that I entered into a place that was his perfect will. I want all that God has for my life. And that takes obeying God, and that takes saying yes to him, to listening to wisdom, and to being in his perfect will. So let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. If you just want to close your eyes, and search your heart. If there are those of you out here sitting in this audience or that are tuning in online and you really don't know that you're in the perfect will of God, you don't know that you're in right relationship with him. You don't know that if you left this place today and God forbid were killed in an accident, that you would die and go to heaven. If you don't know those things, I'd like you to slip up your hand and say, Jesus, I want all that you have. See that hand. See that hand. Thank you, Jesus. See that hand. See those hands. Thank you, Father. And now let's all pray this prayer together because we can all continually renew our faith in Jesus. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross for me. I thank you, Lord, that you forgive my sins. And I ask for you to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and make my life new in you. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Now we're going to enter into a time of worship, but I want you to think about something. If you said that prayer and you meant it from your heart, if you've been walking with God for 40 years and you said that prayer and meant it from your heart, you know that God needs you. Part of why we're on this earth is He put us here, so that we can reach other people and share Jesus with other people. I was watching a video, and it was the people who about the people who owned the donkey when Jesus rode that donkey and rode the donkey through, you know, to on that day of that Palm Sunday, that glorious triumphant day. And you know, somebody had to obey God to let Jesus ride on that donkey. So imagine the part you play that you might think is little and insignificant, but it means so very much to Jesus. So as we worship, as we spend time with the Lord in worship, I just want to encourage you to tap into all that God has for your life. And let's invite all kinds of people to service next Sunday.